Kicking and Streaming Podcast is brought to you by Cafe 1804. Premium Haitian coffee now available online at cafe1804.com. That's cafe, K-A-F-E, 1804.com. We're going to do it. We're doing it. Yes, we is. This is Kicking and Streaming Podcast, a binge watcher's guide to streaming movies, TV series, and stuff. Here are your hosts, Graham and Jocelyn. And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Kicking and Streaming Podcast. My name is Graham, and with me today, of course, is the absolutely fantastic JoJo. I could add more titles, but the fact is, she is the absolutely fantastic JoJo. And anything else, man, is just pure, you know, add-ons and shit. Lipstick on a pig. Lipstick on a pig. (laughs) Lipstick. Yo. I was about to repeat that shit until I realized that's what she said. Holy shit. No, Jojo, what the hell, man? <laughs> oh, my Lord. Jojo, how you been? I've been good. How you been? I like how I, you know, we have to go through these formalities of how you been and shit. <laughs> Meanwhile, we've been on here like for half an hour just yapping. <laughs> yeah, everyone, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know. Well, but you know, we have to. We have to go formal. We have to go like that's right. Yeah. You know, we have to keep up appearances. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. You know, yes. People keep telling me and shit like, why do you why why do you model so much after radio and shit? Like, look, man, long before podcast there was radio, and I'm a radio guy. So uh, yeah. that's that just doesn't die like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. So there's you've been that. good, Judge, right? I've been good. All right. So here's the thing, Jojo. You've been good. I've been good. Let's talk about uh, what brings us always here. It is the fact that we are reviewing today a Netflix series. You will notice that we do a lot of Netflix lately. it's It's not that we prefer Netflix over anything else. It's because Netflix has had some good stuff. And when we look at the other streaming platforms... They have contents that are not as compelling as as we've found some of the Netflix stuff, right, Jojo? Yeah, and you you also have the sheer volume too, because you know Netflix is pumping out a lot of originals, several a week it seems like, and with Amazon or your Hulu, you you might get one or two a month, and if it's not great, it's not great. So Netflix is consistent with the new content, so we've got got stuff to look at and talk about. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it would be nice if I unmuted myself before I say, yeah, I right, it's right, it's right. <laughs> and so with that said, today we are going to talk about the limited series, I believe. It is called The Billion Dollar Code. This is one that I I chose for for several reasons, but it's not necessarily because it is one of the most enthralling things out there. I do believe, however, that there is a piece of history, a recent history in it, in that one should forget about the fictionalized parts of it and actually learn the history of what happened and why this case actually exists and why we 
we didn't hear much about it until this until this movie came about. Until this sort of like what what do you call this? It's a series, but it's sort of like navigating a, a hybrid of of fictional and true true story based on a true on a true on true events, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it is a is a hybrid of fictional and documentary, you know, kind of an expose, if you will, of some things. And it's uh it's a whole lot of things altogether, but yeah. So the billion dollar code is not necessarily a brand new thing on Netflix. I think it's been around for at least two or three weeks. And actually we've been meaning to talk about it for for that time, but there's been some other stuff that we decided to go ahead and, and, and do. Yes. Uh, so this is the week that, that we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. And I'd like for you, Jojo, as you only you can do, if you would, tell folks what is this about and what do we say what do we see with ourselves watching here? Right? Yeah, I'll I'll do my best. <laughs> All I can promise, I'll do my best. So The Billion Dollar Code is a fictionalized version of a true story. There are bits of it that were made up completely fabricated in order to actually avoid lawsuits with a certain large company that begins with the letter G. And it is about a two programmers, two computer folks in the 90s in Germany who came up with a fabulous idea for something. I kind of brought in a, a third partner who talked to the wrong people. And uh, this is the story of the lawsuit around that, the story of how they all got together, the story of what it was that was stolen and why it was so important. But the, the billion dollar code is, is we're talking computer code and it was worth probably a lot more than a billion dollars, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when you hear about a billion dollar, the billion dollar code, it, it was well, the first time I thought we were looking at some kind of spy movie type of thing. I was kind of thinking a heist or something, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, Ocean's Eleven type thing or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, that's the first thing that came to mind. And and so when I when I looked at the trailer, I realized, oh, well, this is something that we've never heard talk about. And yeah. it got me thinking about the idea of, have, of too big to fail in the sense of having control of information. Because the crazy thing is when you are, the first thing that comes to mind when you are thinking about searching something on the internet, and, and we've even turned it into a verb, is I am going to Google this. Mm -hmm. I am going to Google that. Don't believe me? Google it. Mm -hmm. So how much can the history itself of Google, the shady history of Google, could be available through Google <laughs> for, for us to know or for us to learn about. 
Yeah, it's true because you know what? What is it? History is written by by the victors. By the victors. So you know, if if Google uh, decides that they don't want folks to know about something, they are extremely large and have <laughs> their fingers in every pie. So you know that that sort of thing can disappear. And so it's 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 interesting, and it's it's good to have this kind of thing out there so that people understand that. Even though Google has the the motto or the mantra of I forget what it is, don't be evil don't or be something evil. like that. Yeah. Don't be evil. That they are like any other large corporation, and they have stepped on people, and they have done some bad things to get to where they are. And this is an example and a story of just a very small company that that they did this to a very small portion of of people. Small. Um, what's the word? I guess like a, a study of of how many people that this has probably actually happened to that we'll never hear about because it, you know it was one guy who wrote one line that that changed everything. So yes, yes, and I, I think you know eventually people are going to know, and it is freely mentioned in in the series, so we can talk about it. Uh, the specific code in in question here is the code for what became known as Google Earth. And so, although today it is called Google Earth, Google Earth wasn't an original idea from Google. And it got me thinking, Jojo, that for the longest time, I've followed a pattern in some of the greatest inventions with which America has been credited. And so what I realize, if you go back to most Americans uh, since, I want to say, the 1940s that have won the Nobel Prize or have gained notoriety for breakthrough scientific achievements are foreign-born. And so these are people who are born elsewhere, sometimes get the majority of their education elsewhere. But at some point, because of certain programs that America has for uh, folks that are in the STEM categories of, of things, so they it, it becomes attractive that America should be the next step, either as a professor, as the, uh, either as a researcher, either as this and that. Here's all the funding also exists more than anything else for whatever research you're doing. Like It's going to be easier in one of the, if not the richest country in the world, to get that funding and to do that. And also, you're not going to be in the very back of the line when it, come to, when it comes to becoming a naturalized American. Right. And so once that happens, all of a sudden you hit a breakthrough in your research, in your in in your field. And when you get that Nobel Prize, when you get that huge award, what is it going to be as as American? They will always say, you know, Iranian born scientist or Russian born this or German born that. But the Nobel Prize went to America. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. all the great award, the Pulitzer Prize, or whatever, went to to an American, as it were. And so there is 
a history of America buying themselves the most brilliant minds and in the end ending up with the credits for some of the biggest inventions in, in scientific breakthroughs. But one can always question, is this, can one really say? <laughs> can you really say that is yeah. a, a, a victory for America other than in a geopolitical sense, if you will? Yeah, very, and, very true. And, and so that's the thing for me is that instead of seeing this happening here, which could have happened, what we see is a flat-out piracy situation. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially, I guess, uh, corporate espionage, if you will, but in a little less sneaky than that, in that some folks went to, you know, they, it was kind of like, you know, they did a presentation and the person who saw the presentation stole the whole idea and, and, and ran with it. I actually can sort of, this is kind of a silly story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh -huh. <laughs> so the TV show, which is very, very old and only older people are going to know about it, but uh, American Bandstand with, with Dick Clark was a very popular show in America It was actually started as a very small TV station. It was doing that as almost like a public access thing for their for their TV station. And as part of a promotional tour, Dick Clark was going to the smaller TV stations who were owned by CBS at the time. And he watched this show. And then suddenly American Bandstand came out. Are you serious? And was huge. And was huge. Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Jojo. Jo Jojo. I would have never heard of this if yes. we weren't doing this show. <laughs> so here we go. Yes. Yes. And of course, you know, this is, is the 50s and and, and the, the small TV station was not recording anything because nobody was recording stuff back then. So they really didn't even have any proof that they had been doing this other than people were like, yeah, I, I used to watch that all the time. Or, you know, yeah, I was wow. I was an act on, on that that local show. Wow. And and they actually the name was something very similar. I believe it was United States Bandstand or something like that. Was oh, the, the wow. They didn't even yeah. put a, a lot of was, effort in it, was it? Yes, it was. It was very close, but it was. It was one of those things. that was like the people who were doing it were like, "Well, now you know, we were just having fun, and we had no idea that this could have become a huge thing." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I it just it's it's one of those things where you know the wrong people kind of talk to the wrong people, and something was straight up stolen. In this case, of the ensuing story behind all these people is is something I think that's important to talk about, so that we know that even though there are these huge companies and everybody likes to maybe not everybody, but a lot of people like to think of of large companies as you know, everybody's a team and everybody works together, they will happily do whatever they need to do to, you know, get an edge on the competition. And in this case, if they found something they didn't have to pay for, so they, they, they didn't have to pay for it, they did it, they were able to claim it as theirs. But here's, a, and this is the, 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 the corporate vandalism that bothered me about this, is, is the fact that I think it was a, ma a matter of showing we've got the muscles in We want to bully you. We're not, we're not going to acknowledge that this is yes. yours. Yes. Because 
no one, they weren't even planning on, on it. Like, it, those two kids were eternally naive enough to, just for the sake of our work is going to be out there and we're willing to get paid for it and we're willing to just work with this huge American company, you know, we, we, it's cool. I mean, it looks a lot like what we did, but it's all good because we, you know. But meanwhile, the big G, they decided, no, oh, man, we ain't paying you. Yeah. We're not paying you because we said so. Yeah. Because we're not paying you and it's not your idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not paying you and it's not your idea. And there's you, you can't you can't make us, you know, yeah. Yeah. you can't make us because we have lawyers and we will do anything to prevent you from getting ahead of this. And I want to ask you something. Do you think that they waited too long to come out with the lawsuit? Do, do, do you think if it weren't, if they didn't take that long, maybe things would have worked out in their favor? That's really difficult to say. I don't know because, you know, strike while the iron is hot and all, all those good sayings and things like that. But at the same time, I could see them being so young that people wouldn't take them seriously being like, you're just a couple of goofballs. You don't, you know, how could you have come up with, with this brilliant thing? And whether that's right or not, that's, I'm thinking of the prejudices of the time of the nineties. I'm thinking of the way the nineties were. I'm thinking of what the court system would have been like in the nineties. And I don't know that they necessarily would have been taken seriously. I almost feel like they had to wait, to get old enough to have the gravitas to be able to, to say, yes, we did this, this is how we did it. And um, being able to have people behind them that believed in them, who were able to get this to the court system and get it through the court system. I think that was ultimately good for them. I, I don't know how it would have gone for them if they'd been younger. I think that it was the kind of thing I feel that they needed to have waited, even though it would have been probably a lot more satisfying for them to get it when they were younger. And who knows what they could have gone on to do. That's, of course, the the sadness of this is we don't know, you know, what was lost in the stealing of this. But at the same time, I I, I don't know that they would have been taken seriously. Yeah. And I agree with all you said, Judge. All, all the things. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I believe you and I agree with you. No, but like, (laughs) seriously, I thought about it a couple of times, a couple of ways. I thought maybe, maybe if they hadn't waited so long and put pressure, you know, things could have gone their way. But the other thing is, and I don't know if that's part of the fictional version of it or no, but it's, I also blame the the reaction that their country had towards them when they came back from Silicon Valley with those big ideas and they went looking for, you know, investors. (laughs) Like, how is it possible that at the time Germany was so short-sighted with where technology was? Because... The way things typically work is that 
you know, people are observing what happens in the United States and how seriously the United States is taking anything in order to say, you know, this is the way to go, right? And so at the time, we knew it was a time where 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 the dot-com bubble was becoming a thing. Yeah. Right? When they came back from Silicon Valley and started doing the they wanted to do, they wanted to create their own, you know, German Silicon Valley. Yes. It, it boggles the mind that no one said, and these were like inspired and inspiring young men, young people, I want to say. It boggles the mind that no one said, maybe we should give them a chance. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's, like you said, part of the fictionalization of this. I don't know if that's something to do with the, the economic status of, of Germany at the time. I, I don't know really, but, but you're right. I don't know why there weren't investors lining up. I don't know if it's because all the investors were, well, you know, we've already got Apple and Microsoft. So why should we listen to these guys from Germany? I don't know, but it's a very good question. Yeah. Needless to say that, you know, throughout the entire thing, I, I don't know that everything was tilted towards making the viewer feel sorry for them, but I did feel sorry for them because I remember that kind of youthful enthusiasm. I remember that kind of from here to the moon type of thing. And I remember thinking, if only I were placed in a developed country, if only I were, I had the, the fortune, if you will, to have been raised in a, in a, in a country that is more forward than where I am. And to think that these opportunities were stolen from people who had the birthright in, in, in a country like that is insane. But at the same time, it tells a very compelling story of, again, why is it that we may have the patent and the claim to have invented a lot of things, but we, we owe it all to a bunch of immigrants and sometimes to things that we went that are in our museums today that never belong to us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Let's talk about the structure of the, of the show for a moment, because I struggled with the first episode and I, you, I remember telling you, yes, I know what I'm watching and I know where it's go is going to get, but I'm, I'm struggling here. And the reason I was struggling is because I think instead of starting off with the deposition, I think the entire story could have been told from the point of view of the courtroom. Having a conversation around the table with sort of like a mock trial was what was what was a bit of a struggle for me because I'm thinking, yo, wait a minute, is it going to go on then later to a court and say all this again? And am I going to have to, <laughs> am I going to have to endure all of that? You know? <laughs> right. Uh, so, 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 so what, what do you think of this part here? Like, do, like we love courtroom TV shows and stuff like that. And, sure. and I thought, I thought we could have seen, we could have prolonged the 
the happenings of the trial while telling the background story, as opposed to all of it happening before they even went to to court. Yeah, I, I I struggled with the first episode myself. I was a little, I don't know if confused is the right word or or what, but the 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 storytelling style took a while for me to kind of get into the groove of. Um, and so the order and the decision of the way it was made. I, I guess is not a format that, that my brain was, was ready to ready for at the particular time. (laughs) So, um, I think, I think if you find the first episode a little difficult, the best thing to say is to hang in there because it, it, it is, I agree with you. Like, I feel like it, it could have been, been different and been maybe a little more compelling, but at the same time, I, 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 at the same time, I respect what they were doing and, and the fact that this is, you know, a different style of storytelling than me as an American would be used to. So I, 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 I see both sides to it. Yeah, and it is, it is a stylistic thing, to, uh, as you said, because it is sort of like the way a German will tell, would tell you a story. And it's always, they're always going to go to the, the important things and spare you the details, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think, I think that's what happened here. <laughs> you know, that's what happened here. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you what happened here, 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 you know, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. I, I mean, you know, cause I don't, I don't speak German, so I haven't heard a German person tell a story. So I, I, think that that's that's kind of cool that it's a like a cultural yeah, thing. yeah yeah they they are they are very to the point and the crazy thing is that again a lot of people have this weird idea that Germans are like mad rigid and unfunny <laughs> they they are like really funny people like some of my favorite beer buddies of ever are, are Germans they are funny. They, and the other thing is that they are incredibly gracious uh, hosts. You, you know, they, again, do you want to befriend a German? Just let him see you making an effort at speaking German. Simple. You've got a friend for life. But show up and tell them, like, speak English, motherfucker. You got problem. <laughs> you know, but... That's the way it should always be. We should always attempt to meet the person on their corner as much as yep. we can. And, and Agreed. I, I think that's the way it is. Agreed. Um, so I personally think that a lot happened in the courtroom for them to have won this. I think, I don't think Google's defense was better than them. And I don't think they presented... I don't think Google made their case. I just think that when it comes to stuff that are about computers, that's you you can see it when you watch like a hearing about you know, I don't know Facebook and Twitter and shit, a Senate hearing. Half yes. of these people have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. 
No. Because you and, can and, see the ge generational gap. You'll see it. Yes. You know. Yes. Yes. They don't know what they're asking and they don't know what the answer to the question should be. Exactly. Not, they don't understand their question and they, they don't understand the answer. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's exactly right. You know. So, yeah, it's it's I. <laughs> it's it's frustrating to see that sort of thing when when especially when it's you know something incredibly important like this is some of the more recent trials we've had with with say Facebook and you know the the folks that that are quote unquote in charge who have they have no idea about anything and that's that's not to say that these people aren't obviously intelligent or educated. It's just it's it, it, computers are still a very esoteric thing yeah. and uh, code is esoteric and it's called code for a reason. <laughs> right. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> so so it's 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 almost I don't know, impossible and not impossible. It'd be very difficult to get a true trial of your peers. If you're, if you're talking about something like this, you would almost have to handpick people from Silicon Valley, from different countries who have, you know, vast resources. So they could go, no, that person's talking BS. That's, that's not how that works at all. I know how this works and you do this. So I just, uh, and no, 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 <laughs> but you, you know, so, so here's the thing. I would I would ask you then, Jojo. Do you think the the jury system in itself then is is that a flaw in the jury system in in the sense that you are being judged by a jury of your peers just from the societal proportion of it as opposed to a panel of experts? Because or should there be instances in which? Yeah, let's have a jury that knows about what we're talking about, as opposed to, you know, a group of, and I'm not saying uneducated, but non-educated in the matter, individuals who then have to make a decision about this issue. Because I think they illustrated very well what was happening, what can happen to, to the layman's mind when someone stands here and starts talking about coding to you. And and I don't know if I still understand the strategy, because the lawyer for for Carsten Schluter and Yuri Muller, she she said no that I wanted this to happen, but I was scared for them because I'm like yeah these people are lost, why are we going in all of these technicalities and shit because they don't understand none of this, so why. Why? Why are we doing this? So, what do you like? How do you think this would be fair, Judge? I, I think in the case of something like this, that you almost need to have. You either have a need to have a completely brilliant prosecution and a completely brilliant defense who can break this down and explain it to everyone like they're five years old who can understand it themselves enough to be able to explain it to you as if you were five years old and then you would understand it. I don't know that that's possible with this sort of thing, but, or at least be able to teach it in a manner that is understandable to the people who are considered peers, or there has to be some sort of a, a decision to bring in experts to you know, really 
weigh on this certain information to say, no, that's, that's absolutely not how that is done. Or yes, that's absolutely how this is done. I mean, in my very small world of, of what I would do for a living is medical billing, which is also coding, a completely different kind of coding, but it, they're also called codes for a reason because medical insurance does not want to pay the bill. But the, the, different codes that you use for that, you know, I can, I can list out a few codes for you. If you've gone to see a chiropractor, if you've gone to see a regular doctor, if you've gone to see, if you've had an MRI, the different modifiers you should use, the different kind of diagnosis codes you should use. And any normal person is going to stand in front of me and be like, huh? And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with them or done with them. It's just, that's not their world. So, you know, and I could have somebody in front of me do the same thing. And I would be like, that's not the code for that. Zero, zero, one is that's not the code for that. <laughs> and that's not the code for that. And that's actually the code to have your dog neutered. And so, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm making things up, but I mean, that's, that's just a small example of, you know, that I think that there needs to be someone who can explain this on a very, molecular level to people who aren't in the world. And again, not that they're stupid or uneducated. It's just a very esoteric, very niche environment that I don't think is easily understood. Yeah. And, and as, as much as I hate to say it, condescending as it was, I did think that the expert for Google, on the other hand, did a better job at although she was bullshitting the entire time, <laughs> you know, but she did a better job at making it as uncomplicated as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, you have heard me complain about the propensity, the overuse in America of oversimplification, yes. in that it is a perfectly normal thing to ask somebody to break it down to me as if I were a child. And even in college, I've heard speak of the KISS method, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Mm -hmm. That over time, what it does is that it deteriorates. It removes the ability of critical thinking. And I hate that because I can see confusion immediately in somebody's face when I'm talking to them and I'm using just a couple of just two notches above the average fourth grade um, lingo that people use. And I'm like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, I lost him. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And that is not to say that that people are stupid per se, is that we have created a system. Like the average congressperson speaks and writes at a sixth grade level. Simple as that. And it's not because they're stupid. Some of these people are brilliant minds and most of them have are in their professions and things like that before they entered politics. But at the same time, they've learned that they have to really, really tone it down in order to to either ponder to the people, to their constituents, or to make their constituents feel that they understand each other. I couldn't run for office if that's the case. But furthermore, I believe that the election of Barack Obama proved that that's normal. That's not entirely necessary. 
But in, mm-hmm. this is like incredibly tangential right here, but it's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's what we do. I mean, I wanted to say that to to sort of like highlight how when the conversation becomes too technical and you're trying to make a case where people should vote in your favor, then you lose them. But at the same time. It's not entirely necessary to become maddeningly condescending and use baby language to explain something slightly complicated to people. Agreed. So where's the middle? Where's the median here, Jojo? I think I think that you you almost have to understand. You have to be incredibly in tune with who you're speaking to you know if it's a one-on-one case you can usually very quickly tell if you've lost somebody when you're speaking to them if you're a prosecutor if you're in a defense attorney you know you're going to be watching the jury like a hawk or you're going to have an assistant who is and they're going to and you're going to know or they're going to know you lost them completely with that or you lost half of them completely with whatever that was you just said. Right. And, you know, of course, in a, in a jury trial or anything like that, too, they 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 know about your background. All of that information gets pulled along with your name. So, you know, they know how long you've gone to school. They know if you're married or not. They know how much money you make. They know where you live. They know, you know, your best friend's name is Bob. They know a lot about you when you get called for jury duty. So, and there's, that's a whole nother tangent with the controversy about uh, the people being able to pull that information and pay for it and get who you want on a jury selectively based on how they make how much money they make but anyway so I, I do think that you you have to really know your audience and I do think that you can certainly speak to people in a way that is going to educate them and elevate them without being condescending whatsoever that you can use language that elevates them but at the same time does not speak down to them or does not kind of pander to the idea of I'm going to make this as dumb as possible so that right. you'll understand it. So you don't have to think. Right. Exactly. I, 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 I still want you to think, I want you to yeah. think, let's think about this, yeah. but I'm not going to make it so that it's frustrating for you because you don't understand it. And you're like, forget it. I, I don't, yeah. I don't get yeah. it at all. So like, I know I've talked about my dad a lot in the past, but I mean, my dad was one of the greatest educators, teachers that I've ever known in my life. And he always was someone that you could watch and see if he was trying to teach someone a concept, no matter how small or how large the concept might be, you could watch him reading the other person the entire time he's teaching. And you could watch him adjust his teaching skills or adjust his way of speaking to the person. And he always knew his audience and he always knew okay, that word might've been a little bit too large or that way of saying that might've come off as a little condescending. So, but I'm not going to make a comment to that effect. I'm going to bring this forward to you in another way. I'm going to break it down into a smaller piece for you, a bite-sized piece for you. And he, he, he was wonderful and he was fabulous and I I miss him very much. (laughs) But I think that I have I have great respect for people who can do that, who are intelligent enough and 
have enough feeling for the other person to be able to understand humanity and the way that our thought process works as humans to say, I really want you to understand this and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make it so you can, but at the same time, so you can keep stepping up as we're talking and not me stepping down to get down to you, but you are stepping up to me. There you go. That's, that's, there's like, those are those instances where I say, okay, there, Jojo, Jojo put it in words that, you know, I, I don't even need to explain anymore. I'm, I'm good. We can actually end the show right here. You know, I love the, I love the analogy of stepping up to me as opposed to me stepping down to you in the sense that I'm pulling you up. I'm not leaving you behind or I'm not just, right. just walking ahead and, and having you struggle. Right. You, you know what I mean? And right. I, um, so when I first moved to New York, again, as, as you all will know, like my, my, my English is like my third language. And so I, I think, and I express myself in English as I would have done it in any of the first two languages. So I sometimes it will sound like I said too much to get to somewhere, right? It took a long time for me to to understand to conjugate, for example, for example, the possessives the way Americans do. Like it was hard for me before to say like I was at Jocelyn's house because it was easier for me because I think of I went to the house of Jocelyn, <laughs> you know what I mean, and so. All, all of that I've, I've had to ad, adjust for uh, through the time that I've lived here. But I do remember that one complaint that was voiced to my wife is that every time we speak to your husband, it make us, makes us feel like we have to go straight back home and just like swallow a dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> and that was... <laughs> That was at a wedding that we went. And so I didn't know what to make of that. You know, it was hard for me because I thought, is it me that, you know, am I, you know, am I doing it too much or are these people just complete assholes or whatever? Uh, it turns out that at the end of the day, it seems like it was a bit of both. <laughs> you know. 50-50. Yeah. But again, I, I have had to adjust all of that in order for me to to communicate more effectively here. But at the same time, I hate that oversimplification of things. So I will always say something, I will always throw out some word with the assumption that you know what it means. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, yeah. and if you're honest, and you tell me, clarify this for me, or <laughs> when you say this, what are you trying to say? I have no problem with that. But what I'm not going to do is, as you said, baby talk you because I'm assuming you're stupid. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so, yeah. so, so this is for me where I, I feel like the greatest failure in terms of the trial, because other than that, the case was compelling. And I think... For the most part, they had the jury because who was coming up as an asshole was a defense attorney, was Google's defense attorney, especially because 
you could see the moment where he went from the professional attorney to complete ad hominem. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to destroy you. And juries mm -hmm. look at that, and they don't like that. Yeah. yeah. They don't like yeah. that. But again, yeah, I have to make it make sense. Like, break it down for them. Don't, don't baby talk them, but break it down for them. And I think that was the great failure here. So the real-life individuals in this were a professor of art. Later in life, he became a professor of art, but his, his, his passion was making art with computers. And his name was Joachim Sauter. And sadly, he passed away in July of this year. So he didn't get to see this movie making the round. And so yeah. when you watch this movie, when you see the character name Karsten Schluter, this is the character based on Joachim, Joachim Sauter. Um, and the other one is Pavel Maya. Pavel, as it were, it was, was actually an immigrant, right? Um, Hungarian? I think so. Yes, Hungarian descent. And in the show, he's called Yuri Müller. But that's Pavel for you. Pavel was the, the coding brain. <laughs> and I, I actually love his, both the actors who played uh, Yuri. And this way, we've, we've gotten into the cast. So what do you think of the cast here? I, I enjoyed the cast. I, I'm not really familiar with any of them, but I, I thought they were good. I, I liked them casting younger actors to portrayal, portray the characters as younger and then casting older actors to portray the characters as older. From what I understand, that was a bit controversial. Uh, some people didn't like that. I thought it was a good decision in this case. I, I thought it worked very well. And I, I thought they were they were a good cast. I thought they did very, very well. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Both the actors who played Yuri Müller, I liked. Uh, so you have Marius Arendt, uh, who played the younger Yuri Müller. And then you have Michel Matichevich, who played the older Yuri Müller. I thought they both were very look, look alike, and and like I could believe this was the older version of the the younger Yuri. On the other hand, Mark Vashka played Karsten, the older Karsten Schluter, and Leonard Schneider played Karsten Schluter, the younger Karsten Schluter. I could see the resemblance, but I didn't think they looked alike that much. What are your thoughts here? I yeah, I mean they they certainly weren't weren't twins or, or or anything like that, or you know like younger brother and older brother, as the case of the the other ones you spoke of, which you know I could have taken them as or maybe son and father, but yeah, I I think that the I think it was it was close enough to not be too jarring, and I think that the performances of the actors kind of weighed out the differences in the way that they looked in the, in, I, I enjoyed the younger Karsten's performance. Yes. The, the actor who played him. I, I, I could that buy him. I, I, I bought it. I bought yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought he was very, very good. And the older, you know, 
And Karsten was, I don't know, I think he captured the sort of defeat, is the right word, yeah. of age. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he did pretty well with that. Yeah, and, and the other thing is that it was hard for me to see the younger Karsten that was so enthusiastic and, and full of dreams and contrast him with the older Karsten who, as you said, had like slightly defeatist attitude and had become like so incredibly pragmatic that he couldn't be more German, <laughs> you know, because that wasn't Karsten the younger. And I don't know that you lose all of that with the passing of time. Like, I understand, you know, maturing. I understand becoming, you know, leaving dreams behind and sort of like becoming a realist. But at the same time, I was like, man, huh, that's not, that's not the same guy. In, in, in Yuri, the, the emotional Yuri, the, the guy who wanted to believe that everybody was good, Yuri, was still there. And you can see it, how he reacts when he sees Brian for the first time years later. You know, the actress, I mean, I think for me, the star of this show is actually Lavinia Wilson, who played uh, Leah Hausfeld. She was the lawyer and she's German-born, actually. And uh, she was fantastic. She was absolutely magnificent. She really was. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she, she carried was. the entire freaking thing on her shoulder, man. Yeah. Loved it, loved it. And um, Soima's sergeant was incredibly douchey. <laughs> <laughs> Inc- like, I mean, like, douchey to, to a point where I was like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> You know, he w- I wanted to kill him. <laughs> I wanted to kill him like, a, like seriously, but what is wrong with you, dude? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he was, he was, well, you know, that's uh, either that's the way he actually is or, or he's a really good actor because, you know, it takes, it takes a good actor to make you completely hate them, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, like, I don't understand. And it's weird because, According to his bio, he was raised in Mass- in Lowell, Massachusetts, then spent many years in Southern California. Then he moved to Berlin. But Soimas is definitely not well, as a first name. I, I don't I don't believe it to be an American name. Uh, yes, I yeah, I, <laughs> especially not. I mean, especially not for his age. You yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he And then Lucas Lohran, who played Brian Anderson, that dude is Swedish. He's got a musical background too, but he was a character that I wanted to like. He, that's the crazy thing. Even though from the moment they met, I thought this guy's going to screw these kids over. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be friends with him for some mm-hmm. reason. Is that is that weird? <laughs> No, because I think I think that you know there's there's very charming there's charming people and just because I don't know just because somebody is nefarious or is is going to uh, 
have no morals doesn't mean they won't be fun to hang around with for a while. Yeah, and I think I think so. Here's what I think. I think he was talented enough on his own. Yes. But I think when he saw an opportunity to work with Google, and that sounds to me that Google expected him to come up with something brilliant, and he was running out of ideas, and he's like, I'm going to come up with this. And so, I don't know. It's, it's shitty that he did what he did, but... Yeah. But... It's hard to know whether or not the the decision to not give credit where credit was due was his or Google itself as a company. It's very true. So there's very that. True. And the other thing is that we don't know. I'm not entirely sure whether or not the character of Brian Anderson is actually is not actually a fictional fictional one. There is the Google employee, right? But. Not right. necessarily the character of Brian Anderson. I've done some reading about this, but it gets a bit confused. It becomes sort of like a rabbit hole, if you will. Yes, you know? I, I found the same when I was reading it. it it's difficult to understand, <laughs> to parse what is, what's real and what's fiction and what's, because, yeah. Yeah. So, Jojo, how would you rate this show, this four-episode miniseries? I'd say good three and a half stars. Yeah, I would give it only three stars. Yeah. But I'm not saying that's a bad show. I think yeah. I think people should watch it because there's some things to learn. And, you know, again, if you do some reading about this case, it's going to become a rabbit hole and you would have to ask yourself, how come that's happening? But, again, the source you're using is Google. <laughs> so yes. there's a vested interest in it becoming confusing. Yes, this is true. And I, I think it's good to watch too, to, and I, I do see this happening anyway, but to make sure that just because a corporation is big and successful and makes lots of money doesn't mean that they're good, quote unquote, good. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I think that for a while there that America believed that for whatever reason, that if you made it big and made a lot of money, then you were, were good, but they, it's good to do your research and understand where th- where things come from, where your stuff comes from, and yeah. how many people were stepped on on the way to get there. Yeah. Um, Jojo and I, we're going to call it a day. But before we do, we would like to invite you to join us on social media. You can find us there. Jojo, you are on Instagram. Tell folks how to find you. I am on Instagram. My handle is uh, KNS Cohost. That's KNS so Cohost. K-K-N-S, kicking and streaming. Yes. Yes. And you will find me on Instagram and on Twitter as Mr. Puzzetta. That's M-R-P-U-Z-Z-E-T-T-A. On Instagram, on Facebook, we have a Facebook group. So if you go and look for kicking and streaming podcast group, you will find us. And on Instagram, you will find us also as kicking mm-hmm. and streaming underscore podcast. Mm-hmm. Right? Something yeah. like that. Kicking and streaming underscore podcast. There you go. And yeah. um, also, we are we have a, a clubhouse hub that we host some magnificent trivia every Saturday nights there. And on Wednesdays, we have a talk about something related to streaming movies and TV series. So find us, look us up. But here's the most important thing I would like to tell you is that if you've listened to this podcast, and you've ever wondered, what can I do for these two people? How can I 
show some appreciation other than leaving a comment or over, other than following them. Here's the thing. We are now on Buy Me A Coffee, right? Buy Me A Coffee is an app where you can go. We are set up there. And if you feel like giving us, it's like a tip jar, a virtual tip jar, if you will. It's called Buy Me A Coffee, exactly like that. So you go to, to buymeacoffee.com forward slash kicking and streaming. You'll find us there. Or you can go to our website and click on the little, the little logo for Buy Me A Coffee to take you there. And so holidays are coming around in the, much in the same way that you tip your mailman, that you tip your, I don't know, you, the lady at the salon or whatever. Maybe you can think about tipping your podcasters. We're here. And hey, man, we continue to do it if you don't, but that's cool too. We're just saying that if you've ever thought about it, buy me a coffee is where you should go and do it. Right, Jojo? That's right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't need a latte or anything. A coffee is fine. Yeah, like, yeah we're, we're, we're black coffee people. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't need to be a pumpkin spice latte or a frap or anything exciting like yeah. that. So yeah, yeah. Hey, You have to be like, a, you know, in... Eight to twelve dollar coffee and shit. We're all fancy. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, I'll happily drink it. But of course, I mean, you don't say no. In fact, if you right. want to buy me a beer, that's cool too. Yes, that also that works for me too. You know, when we did the show in studio, we always <laughs> took a break to have beers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those were the days. Those were the days. Well, then again, we're gonna call it a day. And the show is called Billion Dollar Code. The Billion Dollar Code, you'll find it on Netflix. So for me and for Jojo, ladies and gentlemen, have a good week. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Kicking and Streaming Podcast. If you found value in our content, please subscribe and share. We would also be delighted to hear what you think of this podcast. So please rate us by writing a quick review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on all major social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Join the conversation happening today on our Facebook group. <laughs>